What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Tesla earnings just came out. I just got off the conference call. Um, tons of news and exciting stuff to cover. I want to run through the financials briefly, the shareholder presentation, and then go through what happened in the conference call. Uh, give you my take on the quarter. Uh, tons of exciting stuff to get to, um, especially in the conference call towards the end. So we're going to get to all that. But first, let's just jump into the numbers and recap those quickly. Um, so to start, Tesla's quarterly vehicle deliveries, I know I showed this a million times, but it's the most important thing, how we back into all the financials, how many cars they delivered this quarter, 112,000. Um, these were the financials coming into the quarter. In Q3, they did $6.3 in revenue, uh, about $300 million in operating income. I was expecting them to report about $7 billion in revenue and $400 million in operating income, $364 million to be exact in the quarter. Um, these are what the numbers came in for Tesla, actually $7.4 in revenue. I think it was $7.384 billion to be exact and 359 million of operating income so and this actually produced a positive gap operating or gap net income of around 100 million as well so tesla profitable on a gap basis on an operating income basis um record revenue for the company um at an all-time high here so they they beat all of my expectations really um uh, other than operating income just by a little bit but revenue was very very strong um let's look into how they did that gross margin for the quarter came in at 18.8 percent um slightly down from 18.9 percent the previous quarter. There's a ton of different things going on with Tesla's gross margin, but the gist of it is it held pretty stable here. Then in terms of operating expenses, these came up a little bit higher than I was expecting at a uh, 1.032 billion. Um, they did include, it was actually like 1.044 billion, and then they had negative 12 of restructuring charges. I don't know how you get negative 12 restructuring charges, but that's what it was in the income statement. So I just netted that out. So you could see the core operating expenses starting to grow again. Um, and they did guide more about that on the conference call, which we'll get to in a second. And then what I I really wanted to highlight though is the operating income this is operating income or earnings before interest and taxes it's the most important metric that i look for in terms of gauging the profitability of the company and as you can see tesla here i'm um, posting a very strong quarter out of uh, four out of the past six quarters they've actually been able to post positive earnings um, and their cash flow looks even better than this which we're going to get to in a second but the gist of this is that tesla is is now repeatedly profitable and this is something that they see continuing going forward with the exclusion of new product launches okay now we are in the shareholder letter. Um, I'm going to put a link to this in the description if you want to follow along. This is the update letter that Tesla put out every quarter. They actually changed the format uh, two quarters ago. It's really awesome. It's like a slide presentation breaking down all of the important numbers um, with charts as well that you need to know for the quarter. Um, so let's just get right into it. Here are the highlights. 930, and this is what Ch Tesla chooses to highlight as the most important things. So I think it's worth sort of going through them in that order. Um, $930 million increase in our cash and cash equivalents in Q4 to $6.3 billion. So they ended last quarter with 5.3 billion in cash, basically added a billion of free cash flow or 930 million, uh, getting the cash and cash equivalents up to 6.3 billion. So this is a record all-time high for the company. This means they have 6.3 billion in the bank. Uh, this was way above my estimates, about 700 million of free cash flow. So very, very strong quarter, although it's important to remember um, Tesla uh, delivered about 7,000 more cars than they produced. And so they had a big swing to their cash flow because of that. Um, and so in the, in the future, they actually said they expect production to outpace deliveries in 2020. So um, we can't rely on this as sort of like a realistic sort of core true cash flow of the quarter, but it's still nonetheless, they got the cash in the bank. Very, very impressive. Uh, profitability, like I said, 359 million gap operating income. That's 4.9% uh, operating margins. I mean, 5% operating margins is already pretty good for a car company. That means about five cents for every dollar in revenue uh, is a profit for them. And car companies traditionally have very, very thin margins. And this is something that we can expect to grow over time. More on that in a second though. Um, 105 million of gap net income, 386 million of non-gap net income. 
Um, then in terms of operations, these are some really exciting updates. Model Y production ramp started in January 2020 ahead of schedule. I mean, this is something we've had to have see coming. Model Y is popping up everywhere. Even today, there was one that showed up in Canada. And so we were seeing the Model Ys everywhere. Now they're basically saying we already have started building them, doing the test production runs. They even have some pictures in this uh, presentation of the new body line for the Model Y, which looks awesome. It's up and running there in Fremont. And this is ahead of schedule. It was supposed to be delivered originally in Q4 of 2020. I mean, this is, and this is what they announced in March, 2019. So about a year ago or 10 months ago, they unveiled the Model Y, this prototype car. Now they're already building it and producing it just 10 months later. Um, that's an incredible turnaround that most auto executives would tell you is impossible if Tesla hadn't actually achieved it. Um, and now they're saying, uh, not only is it, now they've actually produced it, so they're planning on starting deliveries in March um, and the end of Q1 of this year. And so that's like six to nine months ahead of schedule um, for Tesla to actually start delivery. So that's huge. If you remember the Model 3, um, Tesla was criticized for constantly delaying its production ramp and missing those targets. They've learned an incredible amount. Not only are they ramping faster, but they're managing the expectations much better. And that is part of the reason I think the stock is soaring after hours. That's something I forgot to mention at the beginning of the video. The stock was up to like 650 um, after hours, just soaring on these results because the market is so pumped. I think a big piece of that is the fact that Model Y is coming early, a crossover utility vehicle supposed to be potentially Tesla's best-selling product ever. Um, on the conference call, Drew, uh, the CTO or vice president of technology, was basically saying, even though there is only a 10% difference in the size and the parts are a lot of the same, the consumer experience of owning the Model Y will be very different or significantly different than the Model 3. It is will be its own product. So very excited to see that start hitting the roads and finding one in person. I can't wait to see my first one in person. I haven't seen one yet, um, so I'm jealous if you have. Additionally, they've increased the Model Y all-wheel drive EPA range to 315 miles from 280 miles. And um, I wish this kind of would have been asked on the conference call, but I think it's very interesting that I did get a tidbit from a hyperchanger who was taking delivery of his uh, Tesla, talking to some Tesla employees about the Model Y. And they're basically saying that there's some sort of new heating system or cooling or AC system in the Model Y um, for the battery pack and the internal AC that's far more efficient and maybe using less energy to cool the battery pack. I mean, they had more energy to plow into range of the car. So that's one kind of weird theory I have about why they were able to do that, but not sure at all. Um, additionally, Elon Musk said, I'm getting into some of the conference call stuff here, but whatever. Elon Musk said that the Model Y, um, once they do a teardown, there will be some really cool new innovations that they've done that we'll be able to figure out. So that's exciting. I'm staying tuned. Sandy Monroe is probably pumped to hear that. Um, additionally, record Q4 storage deployment of 530 megawatts. Um, this is huge. Now I'm going to put up the chart of uh, Tesla's megawatt hours deployed per quarter. I mean, Q4 I thought was going to be a little seasonally weaker, but for them to continue putting up a record here, almost more than half a gigawatt deployed um, is very, very promising stuff. Additionally, solar installations are up 26%. This is something that had been falling dramatically since the acquisition of SolarCity. Now that they've reintroduced those leases, they've put out the V3 solar roof. We're starting to see that solar business turn the corner, which is very, very exciting. And that's something that's going to continue into 2020. And so now let's get to the summary. Um, 2019 was a turning point for Tesla. Strong organic demand for Model 3 returned to gap profitability in the second half of the year. 1.1 billion of free cash flow in the year. That's right, Tesla throughout the course of the year, even with the bad Q1, um, even growing like crazy, was able to add a billion and 100 billion to its bank account. Um, this is 
partially due to uh, persistent cost control. Um, additionally, pace of execution has improved significantly as we've incorporated many learnings from our experience launching Model 3 in the United States. As a result, we're able to start Model 3 production in Gigafactory Shanghai in less than 10 months and breaking ground and have already begun production of the Model Y ramp in Fremont. And I do think it's important to note, not only are they ramping products more faster than they ever have or more quickly than they ever have in their past, but they're doing it cheaper. Um, in the last quarterly letter, they, they were shouting out, you know, 50% reduction in CapEx for Model Y um, per unit of output relative to Model 3, 65% reduction in Gigafactory 3 Shanghai per unit of output relative to Model 3. So massive rapid improvements in the CapEx per unit of production um, and time to production. So pace of innovation at the manufacturing level, getting more and more data that Tesla just is moving a million miles an hour at not just sitting on their laurels and being the best that they can be, but just constantly rethinking and improving. Um, and I think that's a key competitive advantage, their constant in innovation in, in that area. They also say, none of this would have been possible without or, uh, strong organic demand for our products. For most of 2019, nearly all orders came from new buyers that didn't have a prior reservation, demonstrating significant reach beyond those who showed early interest. Yes, they've moved beyond those early adopters, all those reservation holders into true sort of steady state mature demand. Um, so to see this be higher and continue, continue strong demand for the Model 3 is really a testament to how good and amazing this product is. And so they even say, amazingly, this was accomplished without any spend on advertising as more people drive our cars as the industry rapidly validates electrification interest in our products will continue to grow i think this is a nod that like as every other or at least what i think as every other automaker like ramps up all these super bowl ads all their advertising for their new evs i think these are basically ads for tesla because people look into their stats for when they buy a car pretty significantly and if you're looking at the stats of tesla or you know the audi ev or the hummer truck or whatever and you compare it to the tesla's comparable car the tesla's usually cheaper it usually has it goes way faster it usually has autopilot um it has a better charging infrastructure structure. It has way longer range. Um, so it, I think all of these advertising dollars that ironically legacy auto companies are putting into competing with Tesla will actually accelerate Tesla's growth um, and the awareness around the brand and how good their technology and product are. Um, additionally, higher volumes driven by Model Y and Gigafactory Shanghai, continued improvements in operating leverage, and further cost efficiencies should allow Tesla to ultimately reach an industry-leading operating margin. This is huge. Um, one of the big theses for myself and long-term investors is this the apple of the automotive world. Um, they're going fundamentally change what the perception of a long-term margin for an automaker should be. And they're going to do that by leveraging more and more software as a part of the vehicle sales, as well as sort of reinventing how vehicles are produced with more and more automation and simplicity. And so um, they're saying that here. And so 5% operating margin is solid, but I think this still has significant upside um, as the company expands. And they have built a lot of their, another big piece of the operating margin. So not only gross margin, but the operating expenses, they're going to turn the lever. They're huge um, because think about it. They already have the stores, the service center, the infrastructure. Tesla's built, done all the work to build out, to prepare for millions of cars on the road. Now they're just every single incremental model they add is significantly outsized or has a huge overweight contribution to the operating profits relative to its gross margin relative to previous vehicles because I don't know if that's making sense, but like the Model Y, like they don't have to build more stores. They just put the Model Y in the store. Same with the Cybertruck um, and the Tesla Semi, for instance, like they don't have to do any advertising for it. They already, well, they do have to build the service centers for that um, and mega chargers for that, which is a little different. But the point is, is Tesla's uh, operating expenses will continue to grow slower than revenue. This is something we talked about in the conference call as well, leading to increasing operating margin. And then you layer in that software, uh, you know, sort of gravy on top of the gross margin. And I think Tesla in the long run, what I'm getting to is I thought this company could hit 10% operating margins. That means for every dollar in revenue, 10 cents is operating income. Maybe that's higher. Maybe that's 12%. Maybe that's 15 cents on the dollar. And um, that could significantly drive the valuation of the company and is a reason why a lot of Wall Street and typical 
auto industry analysts have a very hard time wrapping their head around Tesla's valuation because they're like, oh, car companies traded a 0.5 times sales ratio or Tesla's price sales ratio looks so high compared to car companies. Well, that's because their operating margin structure long-term is very different. You have to totally rethink how you value the price sales of the company or each dollar in revenue for Tesla. You're not factoring in the growth rate either. So um, it's just sort of short-sighted to say that it's an apples to apples comparison comparing Tesla to other automakers. And they're giving us a clue here by telling us they wanna reach an industry leading gross margin. Here's the financial summary. Um, already sort of went through these numbers, but there's a little more depth here. Regulatory credits, which are those tax credits they get from other companies, uh, 133 million in the quarter, um, down from 134 million in uh, Q3 2019, up from 95 million in Q4 2018. So still not a huge piece of the business, but a nice revenue line. Those are 100% margin, I'm guessing. And I think one of the arguments against Tesla used to be like, they're only making money by selling these credits. If you take away the credits, they're not gonna be able to make money. Um, first of all, they made 359 million in operating income, even if you back out the 133 million, assume it's all profit, they still would have made 250 million or 220 million, whatever. The other factor is the tax credit itself um, on the flip side of this has been decreasing dramatically from 7,500 to 1,875 throughout this year. You know, that incentive to buy a Tesla base and, and uh, went away and uh, every other electric automaker still has this because it was like when you sell 200,000 cars, they start phasing out the tax credit. So despite this tax credit phase out, Tesla was able to increase deliveries 50% year over year. They've hit record sales in Q4 despite the tax credit incentive being at record lows. That makes their sales even more impressive. Automotive gross margin, 22.5%. Total revenues, 7.384 billion, uh, 1.39 billion in gross profit, 18.8% gap gross margin, down slightly um, from Q3 and slightly from Q4. But remember, this Q4 number was a mix of a lot more Model S and X, additionally, only higher price Model 3s, performance, all-wheel drive, much higher selling price, much higher margin. So despite the average selling price coming down significantly, maybe 20% or so, um, you know, I think the gross margin looks like it only fell, you know, over 10%. So that means it just show, goes to show you how many under under the hood manufacturing improvements Tesla's been able to make um, to improve the profitability per unit of production. Um, operating expenses here about flat year over year. Um, so it's funny, they grow revenue, they grow deliveries, yet their operating expenses pretty much flat there. Um, operating margin was down slightly. Um, adjusted EBITDA, I don't look at that too much, but um, non-GAAP here, let's keep scrolling. This is what is, is really exciting here, the cash flow statements. So this is what I was talking about. Net cash provided by operating activities. This is basically the operating side of the business, um, what it's doing. They pumped out $1.4 billion of cash flow in the quarter. That is a huge number. Um, and like I said, remember, Production was lower than deliveries, so the cash flow has been temporarily inflated. I don't know if you want to call it by 500 million, but actually, let's do some quick math on that. Yeah, even if you assume 7,000 cars at a $50,000 ASP, that's like 350 million um, in incremental cash flow that they would have got from basically selling off these 7,000 cars they had in inventory. Even if you take back that out, they still would have made a billion in operating cash flow, it looks like, which is about in line what they were doing the previous quarters, even a little bit better. Um, so even without that production deliveries mismatch, you're still looking at a very strong quarter of operating cash flow. Additionally, uh, capital expenditures, investments in new factories to boost production were 412 million. This is something on the conference call they expect to increase going forward and probably ramp up because they have huge growth for Model Y at Fremont and Gigafactory Shanghai and Gigafactory Berlin um, and probably Gigafactory 1 for semi-production. I don't know if that's going to be material or not, but they are ramping production significantly. That means they have to buy the robots ahead of time before the robots can build the cars. Makes sense. 
sense. Um, and so we, I'm expecting to see that capital expenditures line continue to rise. And there was a lot of, you know, back and forth on the conference call about Tesla's capital expenditures and, you know, how much are they going to grow? What's going to happen? And I, it, it kind of like was really frustrating to me because I'm like, no matter how you slice it, even if you assume that Tesla goes to like 800 million or triples to 1.2 billion in CapEx per quarter, um, which would be by far the record CapEx that they've ever done, then we're still not really hurt. like the company doesn't need to raise cash because they're going to be making a billion a quarter from operating from operations, even if you don't assume that production delivery mismatch. Minus 1.2 billion, they're only burning 200 million a quarter, assuming max investment mode. They have 6.3 billion in cash. They could invest billions in CapEx per quarter for three years in a row and not need to raise capital. I mean, there's no question in my mind that Tesla can fund all of their growth with internal operating cash flow and they don't need to go to the capital markets. Anyway, that results in cash being 6.3 billion, up from 3.7 billion um, in Q4. So as you can see, this is the record cash that Tesla's ever had on hand. Um, the balance sheet is stronger than it's ever been. Moving to revenue, um, revenue growth was impacted uh, by a strong increase in vehicle deliveries. Revenue growth was offset by a higher lease mix, Model 3 becoming a larger part of our mix, introduction of standard range trims. They're basically saying uh, the ASP was reducing. Those changes have resulted in a reduction to the average selling price relative to 2018. We do not expect ASP to change significantly in the near term, which means volume growth and revenue growth should correlate more closely this year. And that is a good thing for margins as they continue to improve manufacturing, but those ASPs stay stable. We are positioned to accelerate revenue growth further through increasing build rates at Shanghai, Model Y, in Fremont. These production increases will allow for higher total vehicle deliveries and associated revenue. Um, profitability of gap gross profit of 4.1 billion remained flat 2019 versus 2018. Volume growth and successful cost reduction efforts were offset by normalization of ASP, mix shift towards Model 3 and a higher lease mix. Not too much important here. They sort of reiterated a lot of the same stuff. Um, these are the interesting numbers or sort of key numbers that Tesla has. Model 3 production was uh, as breaking records every single quarter. Um, so was Model S and X production. Demand really surprised me here. 19,500 units, much better than I thought it was going to be. Also, I've said this before, but Tesla's uh, subject to lease accounting is a fraction of what the industry is. I think it was like 8% for Model 3 and 14% for Model S and X this quarter. Um, typically, it's like 25 to 35% or more percentage of car sales are leased for typical luxury companies. So this is yet a another way to look at through the lens of Tesla saying like actually their business is doing even better than the surface results indicate because they're not even relying on leases they're relying on outright sales which is better for their financials if they were desperate if they were hurting to juice demand and hurting to get demand you would see them skew a lot more towards leasing but we're not another uh, sort of indication that demand is extremely strong global inventory days of sales only 11 days compare this to an auto company if you include their dealership network I think the average auto industry uh, time to market or time in inventory is like 50 or 60 days. I don't know. It's Tesla's significantly better time in inventory for their cars. Another sign that their products are much better and just their system is much better because if you can get paid for your product, your cars are averaging in inventory less. Um, the faster you get paid for your product, you may even have this choice. Let's say you don't have to pay your suppliers for 30 days, but you get paid in 11 days. Um, then you have this sort of asset liability mismatch where you're getting paid before you have to pay suppliers. That's extremely good for cash flow, a positive float situation. Um, this is something that only Tesla, the only automaker in the world, can actually pull this off because every other car company has this weird system of sending their cars to dealers, have them waiting in lots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they don't have a positive float situation when you look at the aggregate, including their dealer network. Um, solar deployed, once again, the third quarter or second quarter in a row of a bounce back. Um, very encouraging here, 54 megawatts uh, deployed. I'm expecting this to start growing rapidly in 2020. Energy storage deployment, this keeps surprising me every single quarter, really strong numbers. We don't hear much about Powerwall's powder packs 
power packs and mega packs and what Tesla is doing with its batteries, but yet they keep posting record uh, growth here. Store and service locations, 4% growth, uh, quarter over quarter, 13% year over year, 429. Uh, mobile service fleet up 81% quarter over quarter. This is something that Tesla um, was fixing earlier in the year. It seems like a million years ago, but Tesla was talking about, or customers were talking about service issues. They delivered all these Model 3s and they were like, how do we get them service? There's not enough service centers. Um, it wasn't easy to get an appointment for service where Tesla um, really focused on that and actually really fixed that problem. Kudos to Tesla. And they fixed, they sort of had this new thing of like, okay, let's not build a million service centers. Let's come to you. This makes it cheaper, more efficient, better customer experience to fix the car. And that's why we're seeing a much rapid more growth in mobile service fleets versus store and service locations. Supercharger stations up 34% year over year and 28% um, station-wise, 34% connector-wise, um, 16,000 connectors, 1,821 stations, still by far um, the, the most comprehensive rapid electric vehicle charging network in the world. And the other thing is you may be like, oh, well, their, their vehicles sales were up 50%. They only expanded connectors by 34%. Well, under the hood, or not under the hood, but technology-wise, V3 superchargers, they're making it far more rapid. The, the efficiency per connector is rapidly rising with V3 supercharging, which makes it way faster to charge your car. So if you think about that, that increases the capacity of an uh, of your each supercharger location because you don't have to wait um, as long charging your car, which means they can get push more cars through. And so I think that's an awesome aspect that is underappreciated of Tesla that we're going to watch them roll out in the future as well is a lot more innovation on those V3 superchargers and pushing those forward to make the supercharging experience much better. Vehicle capacity, they talk about Fremont um, production ramp of Model Y started in January 2020. Um, together with Model 3, our combined installed production capacity for these new vehicles is now 400,000 units per year. Ramp of Model Y will be gradual as we'll be adding additional machinery and production shops after such expansions um, are done by mid-2020. Installed combined Model 3 and Y capacity should reach 500,000 units per year just in Fremont, it sounds like, which is pretty big deal, um, much more than I was expecting. We will start delivering Model Y vehicles at the end of Q1 2020. They've updated the website saying March deliveries for Q for Model Y. Shanghai, we've been gradually ramping production, local production of battery packs since late Q4 2019. Um, that's pretty interesting as they're already getting the battery pack production off the ground. Um, then they have more clues about how Shanghai is going on, on the uh, uh, conference call. But they do say here, um, given the popularity of the SUV segment, we are planning for Model Y capacity to be at least equivalent to Model 3 capacity. So and they're already, due to strong initial customer response in China, our goal is to increase Model 3 capacity even further using existing facilities. So reading between the lines here, Tesla's original plan was to produce 150,000 units out of Shanghai phase one, assuming I'm assuming that's all Model 3. Now they're saying we might need to even build more than 150,000 units a year in Shanghai just for Model 3. And Model Y is going to match what Model 3 is doing. So that could be 200,000 of each per year in China. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that the Chinese market is huge. If Tesla does become an iconic luxury brand in China, those numbers could easily be hit um, just based on the amount of market share they're getting in the US. And so to see them already sort of planning for this major demand in China is very exciting. They also have this cool chart here showing how Model 3 deliveries by region have been increasing. Even in the US, they've been able to increase um, their deliveries from 2019 to 2018. And then in 2019, they started launching Europe, China, other, expanding globally. Um, overall, this resulted in more than a double year-over-year -year of unit sales of Model 3. Uh, this is the Berlin factory. They're already moving forward with preparations. Um, and this is exciting because they're doing the first deliveries from this factory are expected in 2021. I don't think we had a pre, uh, concrete timeline about that before, but this is, is pretty impressive. 2021, I mean, that's, we're like, what, like 
21 months away or 23 months away uh, at the most from them starting deliveries um, of the next Gigafactory in Berlin. So even as China, just as China hits full steam, it'll probably still be growing. We're also going to have Gigafactory uh, number four in Berlin coming on, online as well. Autopilot and FSD. Um, Tesla vehicles have driven over 3 billion miles in autopilot mode. Um, that's pretty impressive. They're, they're getting more and more data. They're adding more uh, visualizations, lane markings, traffic lights, stop signs, and cones as other vehicles and road users. I've seen some of this firsthand. Um, it's incredible and mind-blowing, the new visualizations Tesla's putting out in its FSD software. And a lot of this, actually, I'm going to get more into that when I go through the conference call, but they talk about this more. Um, vehicle software. This is probably my favorite part of, of the letter um, and something that the third row, a podcast I'm on, did a whole episode on about Tesla's becoming a software as a service company, uh, transitioning more to software revenue. They say in Q4, we launched premium connectivity in the US for $9.99 plus tax per month. This enables our customers to stream music or videos, browse internet, see live traffic. We also introduced in-app purchases where our customers can buy various software updates such as Autopilot, FSD, Acceleration Boost, and additional premium features, software will continue to play a growing role in our business model. This cannot be understated. This may be the most important sentence in Tesla's shareholder letter because um, Tesla, like I said, they're operating margin 5%. They're a car company. Are they a car company? Are they a computers on wheels company with an install base of a million users that's growing rapidly, soon to be 5 million, 10 million people driving around in Tesla's aka computers on wheels that they can send software updates to, sell apps to, sell games to, sell more functionality to. We saw them do the $2,000 acceleration boost. That was a huge hit. Um, I think this is going to be a huge part of the margin story for Tesla long term. Additionally, you think about as they get closer and closer to full self-driving, um, they're going to be able to charge more and more for that. And that's going to be the attachment rate of that will go up as well. And then that, that will just significantly increase the profitability um, per, per car. Battery and powertrain, due to continued engineering progress of Model Y all-wheel drive, we've been able to increase its maximum EPA range to 315 miles compared to our previous estimate of 280 miles. This extends Model Y's lead as the most energy-efficient electric SUV in the world. And then they have this awesome chart here, which I'll zoom into, um, which shows that electric SUV energy efficiency EPA miles per kilowatt hour, about 4.1, 4.05 for Model Y versus the I-Pace under three, Mercedes, Ford, e-tron. I mean, this is the, the core battery technology, um, basically how many miles they're getting out of that battery pack. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, my, that means the, it's going to be cheaper for Tesla to build that battery pack. It's more sustainable. It's easier. Um, the car's lighter. Like it, it just so many layers of advantages when you're more efficient. This is the backbone of that electric skateboard EV technology. So to see Tesla having this huge lead here and touting it is really exciting. Additionally, I wanted to highlight this here. Um, just those in-app purchases I was mentioning, pretty cool. They, you can see here acceleration boost, full self-driving. This is a little upgrade store that we can expect to see expand significantly um, going forward. Other highlights, energy business. Like I talked about, a very strong quarter for batteries, 530 megawatts deployed, which included the first deployments of Megapack, our new commercial scale three megawatt hour integrated energy storage system, pre-assembled at Gigafactory Nevada as a single unit. Since the introduction of this product, the level of interest in orders from various global project de developers and utilities has surpassed our expectations. In 2019, we deployed 1.65 gigawatt hours of energy storage, more, to more than we deployed in all prior years combined. Um, in Q4, we deployed 54 megawatts of solar, 26% more. Um, we offered so subscription solar has grown significantly in Q4 with a monthly subscription that can generate income on the first month of usage. There is no reason not to have solar panels installed. Tesla's removing all of the friction of installing solar panels, making that ROI for customers so quick, so simple, so easy that it's becoming a no-brainer. So I'm really excited to see how this goes um, going forward. 
Um, here's the chart of the uh, those gigawatt hours deployed energy storage. As you can see, pretty impressive. This is by year. My chart was by quarter. Um, solar glass roof. Um, they're basically working on making the installing process of the solar glass roof much simpler. Um, we've been partnered with roofing companies to support installations. Um, they talk a little bit more about this on the call, so I'll leave it till then. Um, now, this is the last part, Outlook. Um, full year 2020, they want to deliver ex deliveries exceed 500,000 units. That is awesome. I was thinking, or I'm still thinking about 550,000 as possible, um, but this is what their guidance, I think it's sort of a low ball, which I think is very smart from Tesla. Then they say, due to the ramp of Model 3 in Shanghai and Fremont, production will likely outpace deliveries this year. And so that's going to be a slight drag on cash flow, but I don't think that'll be too much. Like, I think maybe they'll produce, you know, two, four, 5% more cars than they deliver. I'm not exactly sure why they guided like that. Maybe just to build up a little inventory because they had like zero at the end of this year, but that is their guidance. Both solar and storage deployment should grow at least by 50% in 2020. This is huge because, um, like I said, I'm expecting rapid growth in storage and solar as they introduce that solar roof and those new leasing models. So the energy business, which is kind of flat this year, um, it looks like they're guiding for pretty huge growth. I don't know if 50% deployment growth means 50% revenue growth, but I'd expect that to be pretty similar. So not only is it going to be a huge blockbuster year for Tesla's cars, but also for their energy in 2020. Cash flow. Um, they expect positive quarterly free cash flow going forward with possible temporary exceptions, particularly around the launch and ramp of new products. We continue to believe our business has grown to the point of being self-funding. We expect positive gap net income going forward with possible temporary exceptions, particularly around the launch and ramp of new products, continuous volume growth, capacity expansion, and cash generation mean the focus. So this is interesting here. I think what Tesla's trying to say is they're going to basically run at break even from a profitability perspective, try and be profitable. But if they're ramping new products um, like in Q1 when they have Model Y uh, from Fremont and Gigafactory Shanghai Model 3 ramping, then we could see margins, profitability, cash flow take a dip. But generally, um, they're going to be profitable and they have enough money to fund themselves, which is super exciting. Production of Model Y Fremont has begun ahead of schedule. Model 3 production Shanghai is continuing to ramp. Model Y production Shanghai will begin in 2021. That's the first time we got a concrete date on that, so that's pretty cool. And we are planning to produce limited volumes of the Tesla semi-truck this year. Um, they didn't talk about where they're building that. My guess is the Gigafactory, but exciting to see them start to guide that the semi-truck, which is um, sort of a totally new piece of Tesla's business because it will allow them to get into the freight market, moving stuff around, not just moving people. Um, it's a totally different segment of transportation that Tesla hasn't really attacked up until this point. It's a massive opportunity. Um, it's taken them a while to perfect that product, but it's really exciting to see them scratch the surface on that and start delivering those. Moving to some photos, um, this is that Model Y body shop. Um, already showed some pictures of this. This could be that like big single casting machine that they had that crazy patent for. Is this what we're looking at here? This one big piece of the Model Y body? I don't know. I don't know enough about manufacturing to know that. Another y, uh, picture of the Model Y body line. Here's the March 2019 prototype, January, January 2020 production vehicle. Um, then this is a really awesome slide, which I think goes to show the Fremont factory layout versus Gigafactory Shanghai layout, pace of innovation. Why is Tesla able to build a factory faster, get it up and running faster, um, have the gross margins and CapEx, or have the gross margins be higher and have the CapEx be less? What is Tesla doing at the factory level, you know, the, the machine that makes the machine? Um, it, it's really impressive. So you can see that in, this, in the previous Tesla factory, they had stamping, going to welding, going to assembly or going to paint shop, then going to assembly, or some cars go to this assembly, like just a really confusing hodgepodge of a layout because they were occupying this GM and Toyota factory. And it like it just wasn't designed from scratch from the ground up. And that meant Tesla 
um, had a more trickier time building exactly what they wanted, but they learned from this from Fremont and have really been able to take it to the next level with Model 3 Shanghai. And if you look at the Shanghai pictures from the outside, you'll see, you'll notice it looks exactly like this stamping, welding, paint shop, assembly. It's like a big U, so simple. And you allow the trucks to deploy the parts exactly where they're needed, when they're needed on the supply chain. This is a huge part of why the Model 3 production ramp took so long and sort of um, had hiccups and why they had to do the tent was because they had this extremely complicated underneath the production line conveyor belt system to deliver parts at the certain right time. But if you don't have the exact part at the exact right time, it can mess up the entire production process. And that was happening because it was way too complex, this system of conveyor belts. So they said, screw it, we build the tent. If you look at the tent, it's this U-turn thing, very similar to Gigafactory Shanghai. And so this is a really cool example and layout. I love this slide of, of just Tesla, what Tesla is doing at the manufacturing level. Here we're looking at the financial metrics charted, um, vehicle deliveries. You already know this, the cash flow. Like I said, five out of the past six quarters, positive free cash flow. This is huge. Uh, it's, you can't say Tesla's a, you know, a one-time lucky thing if they keep just pumping out hundreds of millions of cash flow every single quarter. So, And this is probably going to continue for a long time. And so this is uh, the number to watch for Tesla's business and very, very impressive. Also from Gap Net Income, uh, four out of the six last quarters have been profitable. As you can see, they would need this number to be positive to get into the S&P 500, but it doesn't look like it's quite positive if you add it all together. They're going to need to have a couple more good quarters before they get included in the S&P 500. That's my understanding. That wraps it up for the shareholder letter. Now let's get into part two of this, the conference call, which is the Q&A with Elon Musk answering retail questions on say and questions from the analysts. So Elon Musk says really strong quarter. Um, he highlights how the company has done 20 billion in, in product sales without a single dollar of advertising. I mean, this is unprecedented for any company in history, really, to sell that much product with no advertising, especially when you think about the industry that Tesla's in, which is the auto industry, where everyone traditionally spends hundreds of millions on advertising. Look at this YouTube video. You're probably watching a car ad. Look at the Super Bowl. Everyone's advertising for cars. And yet Tesla does no advertising, yet they're outselling everybody. He also says the Cybertruck um, demand for that is incredible. Um, he thinks it's a superior product than people even think. Um, and that he wanted it to look like this, it came out of a sci-fi movie, which it totally does. But he thinks demand is crazy. He's never seen anything like it. They will sell as many as they can make for years. Once again, Tesla's supply constraint, all about how many cars they can build that dictates their sales. And so this is really good news for Tesla. And he, and he let, drops this hint that's like, the product is better than people realize. They don't have enough info to realize how awesome it is. I have a couple of theories about that, but I'll get to them in another, another video. Also, he talks about how they achieved the 1 million in cash flow despite investing in huge growth of the Model Y, Gigafactory through Shanghai, growing all their you know technology R&D teams. Yet, despite that, they were able to produce positive cash flow. Very impressive. Um, and then he talks about, once again, that exciting product pipeline that Tesla has. He references Model Y, Giga Berlin, Semi, Glass Roof, Cybertruck, Battery Tech Improvements, FSD, Next Gen Roadster, and a bunch of products we'll come up with too. That's what I love about Tesla. It's like a call option on Elon Musk's brain, the smartest inventor alive right now. What will he introduce? What will he disrupt next with this next generation propulsion, propulsion technology, the electric motor? Um, I think we're just getting started. And even with the products they've announced, we're looking at tremendous growth. He also says, takes a moment to be like, well, looking back on where we were 10 years ago compared to where we are today, like we're producing a thousand more cars this year than we were 10 years ago. Just think about where we'll be in 10 years. And that's a really exciting way to frame uh, what the opportunity is for Tesla over the next decade. You know, I, I plan on sticking around for, through then because I think it's going to be very exciting. Passes it off to Kirkhorn, the CFO, talks about how transformational the year was. 
confirms that how Tesla went from the backlog in 2018 to basically generating all organic demand for sales in 2019. Huge transition. Um, they achieved positive gap net income in Q3 and Q4. Um, they're bringing on more capacity with less and less cost. This is all things we already talked about. Um, progress on software revenue with the premium connectivity and in-app purchases. He mentions that again. Looking to 2020, they're looking on to ex execute on the next phase of growth while managing that cash flow. Um, they want to complete uh, they're forecasting higher gross margins on the Model Y than the Model 3. And then they also, for Gigafactory Shanghai, want to transition to more local suppliers by the end of the year. That'll be a key driver of production cost decreases. Significant progress on Berlin going to be made next year. So this is all going to increase CapEx um, for 2020. Sounds like a big CapEx year. Um, OpEx, operating expenses, will grow, but one, like I said, uh, much slower than revenue or slower than revenue growth. So we're still going to have some operating margin there with the OpEx. He does sort of warn about seasonality, saying the seasonality is going to hurt them in Q1, um, which we all know about, weak quarter for the auto industry, um, that their margins are going to get hit. They also have those two production ramps at once, so going to be a difficult Q1. He does mention the coronavirus, saying this will impact the financials. This could be a one to two week delay in the Shanghai factory ramp for now, but um, it could get worse, I guess. And he also says it's not hurting the supply chain in Fremont, but it could hurt the supply chain in Fremont um, if it gets worse because they have a lot of parts coming from Chinese suppliers. So, but it's not, but he said it was worth noting. I love the cautious tone that Tesla took throughout this. Let's move to the Q&A. So this question start from Say, a question about the solar glass roof, an update on this product. Elon says we're basically seeing small but exponential growth in demand and output. Difficult to project how many they will install this year, but that demand will be very strong. They're working through Tesla installers and new home builders. And then he talks about how there's 4 million roofs built a year in the U.S., um, new roofs installed each year. So that's a massive opportunity um, for Tesla. I think it's like 50 grand a roof times 4 million roofs. That's like 20 billion in revenue just in North America. So that's huge interest, um, lots of interest. Um, and it's just a question of refining the installation progress or process, making it easy to install and cheap and fast. That is really what's the bottleneck of the solar roof, not really production or the technology. There's another question about will the Tesla ride hailing network app be before full autonomy, when will this happen? Or will basically, will they allow the Tesla network app to go out before full self-driving? They basically say yes, which I think is interesting. Not exactly sure how this is gonna work, but um, yeah, Elon Musk says, yes, they will make sense to enable the Tesla network app before the full fleet goes autonomous. Um, so we'll see what that means. Also, superchargers at airports. Yes, we'll put superchargers everywhere we need them. Um, lots of questions on the insurance network, which I think is awesome. Um, he says, how many Tesla insurance customers are there? What's the target for 2020? They don't give details. They basically say it's available in California. Very, uh, lots of regulation to go through. And they're going through the process of getting that regulated to launch it in new states. And so they're working region by region to advance this. And they will be using a lot of technology. All that data Tesla has, massive informational arbitrage versus every other typical insurance company to reduce the cost of the premium over time. Elon has this really interesting tidbit that's like, if you lease a Model 3 for 400 bucks, the cheapest Model 3 lease, you're paying one or 200 bucks for insurance. That's 25 to 50% of your monthly cost on insurance. So it's a huge friction to the overall cost of ownership of the vehicle is that insurance cost. If they can reduce that, that could significantly drive sales, make it more affordable. It's a pretty big deal, um, even though it just seems like insurance. They talk about feature complete FSD, uh, the kind of questions like, well, you said it was going to happen by the end of the year. Why isn't it here yet? Elon's like, I was hoping we would get it by the end of the year. Basically says he might get feature complete in a few months. Um, and then talks about how sort of downplays feature complete saying, it, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It means there's not a 0% chance it could take you for your home to work with zero intervention. So you're probably still gonna have to intervene. It's not gonna be perfect, but you'll be able to try it out and use it. And that's coming in a few months. But he said, really what's happening is they've been reworking the fundamental foundations 
of autopilot software, of the backbone technology of all of this. Um, specifically, he says, we are moving to video training labeling uh, with videos, taking in video from all eight cameras simultaneously. In terms of labeling efficiency, arguably a 3x order of magnitude improvement um, for that. So huge, huge improvements in the underlying tech stack that will start to roll out in terms of user um, experience improvements over the next few months. And there's a question about how retail investors seem to understand the story better than analysts. Do we even need questions from analysts? And this is was crazy because Elon Musk is basically like, I actually think a lot of small retail investors have demonstrated a better understanding of the company um, than analysts or big institutions. And if you look at what the small retail investors predicted about Tesla, you get the highest insight and accuracy from some of those predictions. So that's a nod to, I don't know, all of the Tesla tubers, all the Tesla bloggers, and all of the people submitting questions on say, that was big moment. I don't know. I'm I'm still pumped. But as someone who is the small retail shareholder blogger, like to hear Elon Musk give all of us a shout out is a huge, huge deal and so, so exciting and kind of validates. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about that the Wall Street model was so, Wall Street and, and institutions were so struggling to understand the disruption of Tesla, the progress they were making, the technology and all the value that that had, yet the internet and the little guys were able to pick up on that, get ahead of the curve, beat these big money suits. Um, and now, yeah, that's just so exciting. They talk about operating uh, expense efficiency versus CapEx efficiency, basically saying that Shanghai has been a huge new revolution. Um, they're getting suppliers locally in China, lower import related costs. Um, the new facility in China, like that layout they slowed in the, sh in the slide is, is far more efficient. Um, and so if you add this all up, pretty significant cost reduction um, from the U.S. to China, but the pricing on the standard range Model 3 is cheaper in China than in the U.S., so the margins from Shanghai to Fremont will be about the same. Then the next question is about if the share price is going up, why don't we raise capital and accelerate growth? This is something Elon Musk has talked about a lot, basically saying we're spending money as fast as we can. We're, we can't hire more engineers. Um, we're, they have enough money. They're spending it as fast as they can. Um, it, that's not what's holding them back right now, which is really, really promising. They talk about um, when will the SNX stop using 18650 batteries, move to new tech? I thought this was really interesting. He says, even though the 18650 cells, um, are, the form factor stayed the same, the chemistry within them has changed many times. Um, we're very happy with those improvements. Won't be long before there's a 400 mile Model S, which is an interesting clue. Um, and he also says the Model S and X have more range than they stayed on their website. That's the last of the say retail questions. We're going to the analysts, Adam Jonas. First question about, will they integrate Starlink? Um, and how could that improve the customer experience? This is something he's asked like a gazillion times. I don't know if he knows that the Teslas already are connected to the internet. And Elon Musk says in most parts of the world, they'd still use 5G, downplaying Starlink. Gene Munster comes in. I'm skipping a couple of them because they're not that good. But Gene Munster comes in on Cybertruck. How many can you make? <laughs> With a re really well-worded question, actually. Nice job, Gene, where he's like, okay, so if you can sell as many as you could make of the Cybertruck, how many can you make? Um, anything on the cost of production? Elon's basically like, we don't want to comment on this. But it's all about um, demand is outweighing supply. But the truth is we need a huge, huge, huge steep ramp in battery production. And that is the secret sauce of Tesla. There's basically no reason to build out more vehicles if you don't have more batteries. And so um, he talks about how they're going to do a battery day to explain this. And there, it will make sense to do it after the quarter. So we did finally get some clarity from Elon saying that it will probably be in April. And he's going to unveil a path of how do you go from 35 gigawatt hours a year or 50, where they're at today, to thousands of gigawatt hours, you know, orders of like... 20, 30 times increase in the amount of batteries for Tesla, maybe even more um, with a new technology, with Maxwell's DBE. Uh, I think there's so much exciting stuff there, but he, I, I like how he guides like, before we can figure out how many Cybertrucks we're going to build and how all these other things we're going to build, um, the second question from Gene is about this compact microbus, um, the Model B, which Tesla has 
uh, talked about in the master plan part two, or Elon mentioned, and he's like, look, it makes sense to do that urban high density sort of minibus for Tesla for public transport. Yeah, but once again, that's just adding complexity to our product lineup that we don't need until we get a shitload more batteries. Excuse my French. So it's all about that battery investor day. How do they ramp that battery supply? That will be the unlock to Tesla's product roadmap. And um, he also makes an interesting comment about how ARK Invest has done, he gives them a shout out saying they've done research that people like to drive in cars by themselves. The average unit of humans in a car, I guess, is 1.2 per ride. He thinks it will go to 1.4 only, maybe not even there. I don't know, I thought that was kind of a, a interesting counterintuitive take on the fact that autonomy and robo-taxis may not dramatically increase the amount of passengers per vehicle. I think he might actually be wrong on that, but I don't know, nobody knows, we'll see. Um, once again, real problem is we need to scale battery production. They talk about the powertrain um, a little bit. What are the areas of cost reduction on the powertrain? Then the Elon sort of goes on a rant basically saying like the powertrain is pretty damn good. Um, better than anything else out there by a country mile. Um, it's a lot more about range. He, he cites like all these other cars that, you know, the Porsche costs double, triple what Tesla does, but has way less range. A lot of that is because of the powertrain technology Tesla's been working on. They talk about how the Plaid powertrain is coming at the end of the year. That's their new generation powertrain. It's like alien technology. Elon Musk is like, it's insane. I thought there was no way to do this, but we, we did it. And so I'm even more excited about Battery Master Day where they're going to talk about that new Plaid powertrain. And then Drew chimes in that it's not necessarily about making the powertrain better, although it sounds like part of it with the Plaid powertrain, but dramatically reducing the cost of that powertrain as well is a big focus of their uh, uh, innovation. Then another analyst basically asks the same question as Say. I don't know if he was paying attention. Says, diluting the company to pay down debt doesn't seem like a wise move. Kirkhorn says, um, they're basically like, look, like we don't need money. Um, and as we look forward to cash generation on the business, we'll be able to pay the debt down steadily. We have enough cash. And Elon's like, raising equity to pay down debt is a dumb idea. And I totally agree with him. Like, we do not want to dilute um, any more than we have to because I think Tesla's share price equity in the long run is dramatically undervalued. They don't need to pay off the debt. They don't need to delever, delever instantly. So it makes no sense to do a capital raise at this price to delever. And then Elon talks about battery capacity growth at the Gigafactory. I'm um, saying we're pretty good at it. Um, battery day in April. And he's like, we're super deep on cells, modules, we've gone in batteries, we've gone down the rabbit hole. Um, and then Drew chimes in with a very interesting comment saying we have a decade of experience, not just of what a cell should be, but how to integrate it into a vehicle. And I think this is key because this is what nobody else has. This Tesla pioneered this approach of a bazillion little batteries, 4,000 of them or 8,000 of them, whatever, in a massive battery pack, connecting them all together, lithium ion cells, previously never been done before, um, sort of electric vehicle technology that they invented they pioneered. And so when you talk about who has an advantage about this, it's totally Tesla. Everyone else is a decade or more behind on figuring out how to do this uh, technology, which requires a tremendous amount of software battery management system optimization for the battery when managing all of these micro cells at the same time. So once again, software expertise that other automakers don't have. And then you have to optimize that for cold weather conditions, for how people charge on superchargers, fast chargers versus home chargers, um, versus all sorts of weather, versus all sorts of driving types. And all of that micro optimization adds up to huge differences in the long-term longevity of the battery and performance and range. And those are things that you can't really get other than having experience and having built and sold a million electric vehicles, which only Tesla has. And so I thought that was a really key insight by Drew about it's not just like on paper designing cells where Tesla's ahead, it's actually implementing them in vehicles in the real world, seeing how they work. And I've come to the conclusion that Tesla, um, it's not 
is actually the foremost at, in battery research in the world. Like I used to think it was like, oh, Shirley Meng, John Goodenough, Maxwell, like all these other people and academics are really at the forefront of battery research. And they are in their own ways in their own niches. But in terms of actually commercializing these breakthroughs, bringing these technologies to market, actually being a thought leader in the space, I think Tesla probably has the world's best talent in terms of battery technology. Um, they're going to be the furthest ahead in pushing these innovations and bringing them to market. They are really the R&D generation think tank powerhouse when you think about batteries. Um, and that just is the truth. And they're going to talk about all that in April at the Battery Investor Day. Last question is about Maxwell's DBE technology. Asks about if it is about capacitors or dry electrodes, which is ironic because in the third row interview that just came out, Elon says that it's not about ultra capacitors. It's all about DBE. Although in this question, I don't know if he was answering specifically, but he kind of says ultra caps might be a piece of it. I don't know if I heard that right, but the point is, it's all about the DBE, or I think that's the biggest reason they bought Maxwell, dry battery electrodes, new way to produce batteries cheaper without drying ovens, which means they can produce a lot more batteries a lot faster for a much cheaper cost, which fits into that whole battery investor day scaling to a terawatt hour production thing. And um, then he even add, and he even says like battery day will blow people's minds and it blows my mind and I know it. So it's even more hype than battery day than I already was, if that's possible. But, um, and then at the end he goes, some of the retail investors have put together a lot of pieces of the puzzle. They have most of the insight. And so another nod to the retail investors, the people on YouTube who are doing the work to figure out what the Maxwell acquisition meant, um, why they're doing it, what Tesla's on the cusp of announcing. So to hear him say that once again, the retail investors are ahead of the curve there, just, it makes me so, so pumped and like, kind of, I feel like validates what I've been saying on the channel. I made a gazillion videos about Maxwell. I know people at Tesla watch my videos. I don't know if Elon does, but Elon, Drew, I know they're scheming on something. And for them to give a shout out to these communities, all the Tesla tubers is, I don't know, it just made me feel so awesome and so good and so excited and validating all the hard work that we're doing and all this crazy research that I always think is crazy, but apparently... I don't know. I'm just so, so pumped about that uh, to hear Elon several times mention how that the retail analysts and little investors, the little guys, mostly that because of the internet and the power of the crowdsourcing of information. Think about, you know, just me personally, like I get so many emails, so much information, so much amazing stuff from you guys watching the show about what Tesla's working on, about what your theories are, um, and about connecting the dots. I've called up so many random people at 2 a.m. in the morning scheming on this that it's just amazing to hear on the conference call Elon validate that edge of research. And I don't know if he's referring to hyperchange or any of which Tesla blog, but so, so cool. And I think um, I have a video that I'm about to drop about Maxwell that I think is gonna, is gonna push even more in this direction. So I'm really excited. So stay tuned, subscribe if you haven't already, micro plug on that. Anyway, this is my wrap up of Tesla's quarter. I feel like I say the same things every time, but it was an awesome quarter. It beat my expectations. Cash balance of 6.3 billion. The financial success of Tesla has never been more secure, and that means their ability to proliferate this electric vehicle technology at a rapid clip has never been better, which means our likelihood of transitioning off fossil fuels, getting more batteries, getting more solar to happen faster is better. I mean, the financial success of Tesla is important because it means the technology happens faster, and I can't understate that. It's not really about making money for me personally and as, as an investor, although I think I, I, I am, but and I'm holding on to my Tesla stock. I'm planning to for years, but what makes me more happy than that is just knowing that the technology uh, and that the future of this company is more secure than ever, and they're just going to keep going with it. So that is what has me so pumped about this year, that transformation that Tesla had. It was like a make or break year for the company. Can they make free cash flow while growing, while decreasing ASPs, while investing? 
Answer is yes. They defied every single skeptic, um, and it's been an incredible year. So congrats to Martin, Tesla, Drew, the whole Elon, uh, just the whole team. Like You guys are a huge inspiration. Thank you so much. Anyway, this is HyperChange. Let me know what you think in the comments below. I want to read all your comments about this quarter, your theories about Maxwell, uh, what Tesla's going to announce at Battery Day, because I'm going to be scheming on that. And a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters, producers, fun on the channel. See you guys next time. Peace.